Hey, everybody. Welcome to an episode of Can You Dig It, a podcast by SilverScreenEnroll.com. I am Christian Rivas, one of your hosts, joined as always by Jacob Rood. And Jacob, I am feeling real good. And it's not because I remembered the Lakers won a championship a week ago from the day we're recording this episode. Uh, but also the Dodgers just clinched their spot in the World Series after being down 3-1 to one in the National League Championship Series. So feel real good. It was it was a like it was a fun game. Like a really, really fun game. <laughs> Did you think that in the moment though? Uh well, let me tell you what. I haven't had fun watching a game since they went down three to one. <laughs> <laughs> I uh as a neutral, that was a very fun game. Although I so I need to know which did you yell louder for? AD's game winner against uh, Denver. Belly. Or, or Bellinger's yeah. <laughs> homer. Uh, so if we're going to compare them side by side, and I swear, to, and so we don't alienate all of our audience, we won't spend the whole show talking about this, but I do need to talk about it because the only thing on my mind right now. Um, if you're going to compare them side by side, in terms of like impactfulness belly wins because that's yeah. an elimination game obviously 80s game winner wasn't an elimination game i believe it would have tied this series or put the series at i don't know it's been so long again i'm baseball mind right now i'm doing this so i can get it out and focus back on on basketball but um that goes to belly celebration and i i don't mean to use this corny line but like belly hit it out of the park like it, it <laughs> compared to 80 i think you <laughs> meant to use that corny line <laughs> it was uh it, it was a very cool celebration like i know baseball traditionalists are very anti bat flip and you know celebrating and enjoying home runs in general but i as a baseball fan enjoyed that thoroughly it's actually an interesting – that's a more interesting question. Who had the better celebration between that bat flip and 80s, I'm like I'm that? I'm like that, yeah. Um, the swagger Bellinger had when he, he – like the minute that came off his bat, he knew that was yeah. gone. If I were him in that moment, I would have simply just walked around every base. <laughs> um, I realized that I would be setting up like the next nine guys in order to just get destroyed. <laughs> But um, his bat flip and just, like, the strut before he took off, that was awesome. Um, I mean, God, I love a bat flip so much that I almost want to say Bellinger's was better. Although I yelled, like, as a neutral, I yelled more on Mookie's catch to rob the homer. Like, God, that game was so much fun. (laughs) Yes. The uh, that game was so much fun. Just as in, like I like I said, as someone who didn't have any rooting interest in it, it but like that was peak Atlanta sports. Yeah. Like I don't want to say the Dodgers obviously came back and uh, they did, probably deserved to win. Um, what on earth were the Braves doing in the? What was it, like the second inning or so when they got the, the runners thrown out at third? 
Um, I don't know. It was like an episode of Scooby Doo, is what it looked like. <laughs> they, uh, I man, I I said it at, uh, at the time that I can't remember a bigger base running blunder. I didn't mean to do that alliteration, but I can't remember a bigger <laughs> one, like in a bigger moment, because you had second and third with I think nobody out, and you get them both thrown out. Not even like. It wasn't even like a play where they could have either one scored. Like, they both just got thrown out like, holy moly. That was – I joked. I doubt many Dodger fans enjoyed it at the moment. But going into the ninth inning, it was the Dodgers bullpen in the postseason versus an Atlanta sports franchise, <laughs> which was the movable object against the resistible force. Well, buddy, I think we know which one came out. <laughs> it's funny because the the – base running blunder as you put it um is to bring it back around to basketball before we dive in head first is pretty comparable to the danny green three-pointer in the sense that like it was a like a mistake on just an entirely different level the only difference is the braves don't get to live to see another day and uh <laughs> so i uh i feel good i'm ready to to get this show going and because you and i are like on different i guess planes when it comes to how soon we are how how ready we are to talk about free agency trades all that off season goodness oh, yeah. cuz i have are- been <laughs> yes i have been ardent in the Silver screen and roll slack because within like two, three days, like everybody's jumping in like, oh, can we trade for this person? Can we trade for that person? And I keep like just putting in there, guys, we won a title like three days ago. Let's enjoy it. Now we can kind of start shifting. I'm not ready to jump all the way in yet because I still, I watched, um, Two nights ago. I don't know. You may have watched them. I don't know if our listeners do. The NBA puts out like mini movies for each um, finals game. And they're only like three, four minutes long. Um, I went back and watched all those for the finals. I've kind of been able to enjoy game five because that was a wild game, a wild ending that I absolutely hated in the moment watching Jimmy hit all those shots while we couldn't do anything. But I went back and yeah, he was incredible. I went back and watched all those just to savor the moment some more like, God, the Lakers are NBA champions. There's, there's times where I wake up in the morning and it's not like my first thought. And then I have a big smile on my face when I remember the (laughs) Lakers are NBA champions. That's, Oh, I love it. It's so amazing. They're in Vegas right now. Per report. Yeah, I saw that. That, that uh, surprise didn't when LeBron won in Cleveland, that when they flew from Golden State, Oakland, the Bay, to Cleveland, they stopped in Vegas for like <laughs> three, four, five hours and partied and then landed in uh, Cleveland. I'm kind of surprised they didn't do that. <laughs> Fly from Orlando, stop in Vegas for a couple hours. Although I guess they probably would have stopped in Vegas in the middle of the day and nobody really wants to go to Vegas then. Um, but yeah, they were like renting out entire like clubs and restaurants and uh, I can only imagine what a 
party in Vegas with all of these Lakers would be like, I would like to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I read that. It's not just the players either. It's like literally the entire team rented a mansion and they're just like, they have the Lakers hype house in Vegas right now. I think that's hilarious. Um, but because because you're not entirely ready and I want to specify that we're doing this for you, because <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to dive into the trade. I'm ready to dive into free agency. Uh, but before we do that, I think this would be a nice close of one chapter of the season. We can still celebrate the championship. The Lakers technically haven't officially celebrated the championship, so we still have that. Um, but to close this book and and start to transition into free agency draft trades, all that good stuff uh, and open the book on another, because over the next few weeks at silverscreenandroll.com, we will be doing uh, like player overviews uh, of the season. And if you want something a little more in depth, that is definitely for you. Uh, but for today's podcast, we're going to go over player grades uh, do a couple quick hitters on each player. Uh, and again, if, if you want something a little more thorough and in-depth, we will have those player profiles for you up on silverscreenandroll.com. But for now, Jacob, we're going to go in order of minutes played in the regular season. Um, we are not going to include Troy Daniels, who played 456 minutes in the regular season. He is eligible for a championship ring. I don't know about you, Jacob, but if I were offered a championship ring for the team that eliminated me in the Western Conference Finals, <laughs> I'd think about it for a while, and then I'd say yes. <laughs> he, uh, he last played for the Lakers in, on March – well, actually played back in February 29th. And then uh, I keep, I forget that he was a Laker. Like, uh, he had a nickname and everything. Way yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh a LeBron given nickname, I'm sure, because it's very corny. Yes. Um, I forget that he was a Laker, which I mean, I'm with you. If I'm offered a championship ring, I'm taking it. But <laughs> these guys might be a little bit different, I guess. They're built different. Well, they're built wrong because a championship <laughs> ring, a championship <laughs> ring, sir. I'm sure Demarcus Cousins is not going to complain about getting a championship ring. And that's another player we're just not going to talk about because it's hard to grade the impact he had on the locker room, just sitting on the bench. Posted a nice little, like, motivational video after the Lakers won their championship. Um, he looks good. Like, he looks as good as he looked last season in terms of just, like, knock on like wood, general fitness. But, you know, to be determined if, one, he comes back, and two, he can help at all if he does uh, sign. But, again, no free agency stuff yet. Not even <laughs> internal free agents. Um, so, for that reason, uh, with no Troy Daniels and no two-way guys, really, because the G League season was kind of just, like, just didn't happen. I don't even believe a champion was crowned. <laughs> no, they just kind of abandoned the season right towards the end of it. Because, yeah, I'm looking at the bottom of this. I totally forgot Zach Norvell was a thing at the beginning of the season. I remember when he had, like, two good preseason games and we were like, oh, he's going to be, like, the second best small forward on the team. <laughs> um, I forgot he was around. Um, Kostas, 
still was only around for Giannis recruiting purposes, but and he'll he probably could, be back next year if I had to guess. Well, yeah, because Giannis isn't a free agent yet. Until he signs an extension. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if Giannis signs an extension, Kostas might need to find a new job. But, um, yeah, they, it's hard to evaluate those guys because they played less than 20 minutes on the season as a whole. They all played less minutes than J.R. Smith, who was only signed in the bubble. <laughs> um, I, I do want to mention, though, that I think of those two guys, I was going to say three, but – I think is Zach Norvell with the Warriors. He left. He definitely left um, South Bay. Yeah, South Bay. I was. I'm pretty say sure he's the, with the Warriors. Yeah, um, I remember him being signed somewhere. Yeah, it is the Warriors. Devonte has, I think, a future in the league. Mm-hmm. He's a high energy big man who doesn't shoot, which you know. It's just it's kind of hard to find guys like that that stick around in the NBA. But the nose he has for rebounding the ball and blocking shots and just finishing around the rim, not just like high energy dunks, but he has like a nice soft soft touch around the rim. Um, I, th- I think I think he'll stick around for a little bit. If the Rockets want an undersized center, uh, he is there for the taking. Moving on. To J.R. Smith. Boy, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think how much I weigh in his immediate shirtless celebration. Into Which Kuzma proclaimed that he did it first, and then J.R. Smith followed suit. Which makes Kyle Kuzma. J.R. was king. on the court before. <laughs> yeah, J.R. was on the court before the final buzzer rang, shirtless. Like, sorry, Kuzma, but that's J.R.'s crown still. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I am looking forward to the Lakers championship parade because I am, if I had, if there are betting lines on championship parades, I'd bet on, on J.R. Smith not having a shirt on. Oh, hundred percent. Uh, outside of that, he did pretty he looked like a guy who hadn't played for yeah. like two years. Um, he couldn't really make threes, which is what you brought him for. So in terms of like physical on court production, it was not good. He didn't provide really anything. Um, but he was on the court shirtless. So for that, I'll give him like a B. <laughs> I think a B is is what he probably deserves or an H for Hennessy. Um, that is a grade I am making up right now. <laughs> uh, he, uh, he also was, like, I mean, this kind of jokingly, kind of not. He was always celebrating, yes. which is like, there is some value to it to all to getting guys hyped up and whatnot. And he always seemed to be the one in front of the bench in front of the, like literally in front of the bench, there's like a, the, yeah. the barrier separating the bench from the court. And he stood in front of it. The only player to do that throughout the postseason. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, there is value to that. And he had some hilarious moments celebrating and whatnot. So he was a good chemistry guy, but um, I don't think they really sign him as a chemistry guy, so uh, it's hard to give him much more than a B. Even that feels a little generous, but he only because we won. If we had lost, I'd probably be a lot more harsher on him. <laughs> I'd, uh, I, I just love the way he celebrated the championship. It's like so many – nobody thought I could be back here again and like at this <laughs> level. It's like, JR, buddy, I'm not taking anything away from, from what you accomplished, but uh, – you're just there for the ride. Um, he got a ring because 
he's with clutch yeah <laughs> that i is, wonder <laughs> that is it i wonder if um like him being part of a championship team expunges that blunder from his record in in lebron's <laughs> book Oh, maybe, well, in LeBron's book, I mean, maybe, but in Jacob's book, which is a lot less meaningful, no, it does not. Uh, up next, we have another guy I didn't expect to play much in the postseason, but he did, uh, and that's Talon Horton Tucker, which I think any time you can play a second-round pick who didn't play much in the regular season – in the Western Conference semifinals, you absolutely have to do it. That's what the Lakers did. Um, and he was good. I, I think the most encouraged... Oh, sorry. I just realized I didn't give JR a grade. Uh, oh, yeah, I did. I gave him an H. H for Hennessy. Yes, that's a better grade than any other. <laughs> uh, Tim Horton Tucker was put into a like meaningful playoff game. And if I'm remembering correctly... The Lakers extended their lead when he was on the floor because he was just getting buckets. And if you're looking like long view, big picture, Taylor Horton Tucker's career, that's probably going to be his thing. It's just like coming in the game, being long. I hesitate to say playing defense because I don't know if he does that right now, but he is objectively a very long man and he can score. So uh, I probably, I mean, for how confident he was in the postseason alone, I think I'd give Taylor Horton Tucker like a B, B plus. So before the bubble, he played little under five and a half minutes in the regular season. It was two games. He played two twenty eight in one and two fifty one in the other, both blowouts. Uh, he played a bit in the bubble, uh, the last half of the seeding games when the Lakers were just kind of resting guys or whatever. Frank Vogel's biggest heat check in the entire season as Lakers coach was inserting THT in that it was game four against Houston. And you're right. He played seven minutes and was a plus nine. Um, He didn't even look like out of place either. Like he looked like he fit into um, the rotation. Like, Basically, they just needed minutes from a guard for one shift. Right. Um, they tried. I think they tried Dion or maybe Jr. the game before, and it didn't go great. And so he was just like, "Let's try Talon," and he looked good. <laughs> like both times he played, he looked good. So I mean, yeah, for that alone, that's like it's, it's probably a B, B plus even. Like to step in in that moment and be a productive player. Um, that's huge. That's huge for like your confidence going into the off season too. Oh my God. I just on accident pulled up his playoffs per 100 possession, possession stats. <laughs> he led all players with 40.6 points per 100 possessions in the playoffs. Well done on 40% shooting from three point range, 14, five, 14.5 attempts per game. Yeah, I mean, that's what we can expect next season. (laughs) Maybe he deserves higher than a B plus. (laughs) I do think, uh, I mean, I'm doing what I was yelling at you guys about, but I would see him probably, honestly, as a member of, like, the rotation next season, maybe as, like, the fifth guard off the bench, or fifth guard in, like, the rotation. I would thoroughly enjoy that. 
Uh, any player that gets Lakers fans excited to see on the court is is just always good fun. And I feel like uh, Talon was at for the Lakers in the postseason since Alex Caruso just, um, you know, looked like an NBA player. But more on him very shortly. Uh, up next in the minutes department, sorry, I got lost uh, here for a sec, uh, is Dion Waiters, Bubble Cheese, Champ Cheese, because he doesn't like Philly Cheese or bubble cheese anymore he is champ cheese ironically didn't play much in the postseason like i think he ended those seeding games with one of the highest net ratings on the team and then frank was like i don't know i you just don't <laughs> play defense i don't know if i can play you because <laughs> it was a really like steep fall off he went from playing a sizable role in those seeding games looked good while doing it like I think there was a time where I just preferred having him on the court over Rondo just because of his shot making ability and his confidence shooting the ball. And I think when he wasn't in the rotation for that first game of the playoffs is when I thought to myself, Frank Vogel really is a defensive minded coach because that's really (laughs) the only justification. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That was when he, I guess in one sense he probably was done a little was a little hard done by the the matchup we had. If we had faced Houston in round one, I would imagine he probably would have just continued playing because um, they're a little bit of an easier matchup. Now I think regardless, he's he just doesn't play defense. So like, and we saw how good the Lakers' defense was. Like they needed guys committed to flying around the court. Um, I mean, even in that Houston series, you saw how much guys were scrambling after Dublin Harden. Um, so maybe he wouldn't have played all that much. I mean, he only played seven minutes and 42 seconds in that whole series. And that was the last time he played game two against Houston. And then he was inactive, which he had a groin injury for a while in the postseason, And then uh, they just kind of chalked it up after that. But he was really fun in the bubble games. Um, I legitimately thought he was going to have a role on this team for better or for worse after those bubble games. Uh, I guess for better he didn't, but I don't. This is another one. Like if we don't win, we <laughs> we felt like we probably really needed one of Dion or Jr. Like you and I talked on here many times during the bubble games and kind of the lead up to it that somebody was going to have to step up. Yeah. Ultimately, neither of them did. Fortunately, it didn't really matter. So, I mean, like, he's also enough comedy off the court that, like, he didn't really sour things too much. So, I guess, like, a he was good enough in the bubble games that I'll give him, like, a B plus, a B, somewhere around there. Like, I feel like we just keep giving out Bs. Yeah. I, prom- <laughs> I promise I have other grades on here. But these guys at the bottom of the rotation were just like, meh. And it feels kind of harsh to be like, yeah, you get like a D when we won a title. So Bs are the new Ds, and that's what we're going with. You get a B. Yeah, I, I, mean, I really don't know what to give Dion. Um, he was fine in the bubble games. I think relative to expectations, he probably deserves like a C-. minus. Um, for well, his yeah, role in, in the postseason games. But, I mean, he didn't really play in the postseason. So, yeah, yeah I think I think like a B-minus is fair. Um, what's funny is 
I thought we were going to get to one other person before we got to uh, Markeith Morris. But Markeith Morris is actually next on the list because he was picked up later in the season. Uh, so it is going to be a little of a bait and switch. But Markeith Morris, and I'm not being hyperbolic, is arguably the greatest buyout addition mm-hmm. in NBA history, like ever. He played every game of the postseason and played, except for two games, played at least um, 15 minutes. And they bought him out. They got him. <clears throat> we kind of – we had this discussion a bit in the Slack. There's very few guys that uh, are in the conversation. Um so I think Boris Diaw in like 20, whenever the Spurs won, 2012, 2013 was the other big one. Um, and a lot of people remember the role that Boris Diaw played on those teams. And I think um, that shows how important Keith was. Like that Houston series, he was one of like the, he was definitely one of the five best players for the Lakers. Like he was in every good lineup the Lakers had. Um, and he kind of switched that series for the Lakers being out there. Um, I can't get over how good he was and the fact, like I'm going to forever joke about the fact that we signed him for free and the Clippers gave up multiple (laughs) assets to get his worst brother. Um, but no, realistically, like if you look at any of the net ratings for the playoffs, like whether it's individual, on, off, any of the lineup data, uh, Keefe is either at the top or a part of the best lineups. Um, so, I mean, like, it's hard not to give him, like, probably an A-, minus, like, especially relative to expectations, because he ended up being a huge part of this team. Yeah, I, I mean, my expectations for him going into the season were for him to be a true stretch four as opposed to what they were kind of pigeonholing Kyle Kuzma into. And that allowed Kyle Kuzma to play on the wing a little more and show off his defensive chops. But ironically, Markeith Morris's role didn't end up being like stretch for, a stretch four, at least not all of the time. He was also like a pretty serviceable small ball center, maybe not defensively, but good lord, the there were times where he was playing center in lineups where they just went super small and they could not stop him. Yes. He was he was great and I I really liked Markeith Morris. I hope he's back. I think with the way he played um and the way he shot in the regular season even with how like poorly he shot in in the regular in the limited regular season minutes he had with the Lakers, um, I think they'll probably have to dip into the mid level exception a bit to bring him back. But I think he's a guy you probably use it on. He is. I mean, if you look, ultimately, like you said, playing as the four seemed to be his sweet spot. Um, that's where he had his most success playing next kind of in those second units, playing next to Dwight a lot. Um, he was able to space the floor out. I would I would put him near the top of the guys I want to come back. 
because he is something the Lakers don't have, and it's hard to find. Like, if you lose Dwight, um, you can find a center to plug and play in those minutes. If you lose one of the guards, Rondo, you can find another point guard. It's hard to find a stretch four that can play spot minutes at the five, like what Keith did for this team. So yeah. he would be near the top of the guys that I would want back next season. The other guy who the Lakers signed to be a stretch four was actually their first signing of free agency, if you can think that far back. Uh, Jared Dudley played 364 minutes in the um, regular season. And he's, he's – I don't want to compare him to DeMarcus Cousins because obviously Dudley played 364 minutes and Cousins did. Uh, but he's another guy that it's hard to quantify his value because most of it came behind the scenes in the locker room. That being said, the type of ambassador he was for the Lakers brand and being like just a face for the organization, how supportive he was of his teammates and – you know, from everything we've heard, a good veteran for guys like Kyle Kuzma and even like Markeith Morris, who has been in the league a while, credited Jared Dudley for making his role both on and off the court a little more clear to him. Uh, so I I really enjoyed having Jared Dudley on, on the team. I'm glad you talk about like OGs getting ring on this team, whether it's Rondo, Dwight, LeBron. Um, Jared Dudley is another one of those guys that has just been a fun role player in the league for a while, and it's it's really cool to see him get one. Uh, so I'll, I'll give Duds a B plus. Again, we will give other grades but Bs on here, but um, it's hard to give anybody an A without you know them providing something on the court. And relative to expectations, this is about all I expected from him bearing like some sort of like Kyle Kuzma not looking like an NBA player at all. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that I mean, those are the extent of the thoughts I have on duds. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much covered it. I, this is what I expected in terms of on-court production, which was basically nothing, um, which is fine. Like not every guy you sign needs to be uh, a contributor on the court. Um I would actually probably give him a little bit more, uh, a little bit higher of a grade because of a lot of the off-court stuff you mentioned. He was, uh, I mean, ambassador is really a good word to use. I was trying to think of another, but I mean, that's really what he was for this team, like in this franchise. Um, He was great with the fans, giving away tickets all the time. Um, He was great multiple I know Kuzma mentioned him a lot. Multiple players talked about the impact he had. He was on um, what podcast? Bill Simmons podcast. He talked about sitting and watching film with LeBron in the bubble a lot. Like he's one of those guys that can connect with the young players and have the respect of the older players. Those guys are really valuable. He embraced his role. He never, I mean, you wouldn't expect him to, but he never complained about anything he knew what his role was he embraced it he was really good at it I was really happy to see him get a ring he's he <laughs> I'm pretty certain he's coming back next season with the amount of times he keeps saying we in the future yeah. in these podcasts <laughs> like he's coming back on the minimum next season and I'm happy for it I 
would imagine he's going to be around for probably as long as he wants to have a career because it seems like he and LeBron got pretty close this year. So, um, yeah, I, Dudley was a great teammate this season. Um, and I, I'd be, I'd happily welcome him back. It's funny. Cause, um, a short behind the scenes story of the editorial process at silver screen and roll. Uh, we wrote a story on Jared Dudley saying he was going to come back. And the quote he had on that Bill Simmons podcast appearance was quote, for one, I'm coming back. Listen, I'll go to Rob Polinka's front door and knock on the door. I'm coming back. They need me on the backside of the bench and practices. And Harrison joked that like trespassing is obviously a crime. <laughs> if Jared Dudley did that, it would be a crime. And I was like, oh man, we should have made the headline. Jared Dudley says he'd commit misdemeanor to return to the Lakers in free agency. And uh, we were this close to changing it, but I, we had already published it. So that is uh, my quick little anecdote. Before we get into our last player, before we go to the top of the order, um, that's Quinn Cook. It was always going to be an uphill battle for Quinn Cook to crack the rotation. I think the formula or you know blueprint for him to get playing time with this team was to be dynamite from behind the arc, like be close to perfect, like Danny Green, like 2018-19 Danny Green shooting numbers from behind the arc was the only way he was going to stay in the rotation because he's you know kind of a liability on the defensive end, um, isn't a great like playmaker. We saw him try to make entry passes on opening night against cool. the Clippers and – I think cool. that is probably the day Frank Vogel said, uh, <laughs> buddy, <laughs> it's going to be a long season for you. Get, get used to that, the end spot on the bench. So um, I'm somebody that when the Lakers signed Quinn Cook, I was hopeful that he'd be able to help in some way. Uh, I thought the contract they gave him was fair. Now, I, uh, I mean, he's probably the first player I'd give less than a B grade relative to his expectations. Um, one, cause I, I just didn't really see him like a lot. Like duds didn't play much either, but duds was a little more out there. Um, when it came to just like, I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, he's obviously the one thing I will say about Quinn cook is he's takes so, so much pride in wearing that Lakers uniform, if for no other reason than the ties to his dad. And I've said this before. I told this story on the podcast before. But when I went to go cover that game, uh, the Lakers' first game back against the Portland Trailblazers after Kobe Bryant's death, uh, Quinn Cook was warming up on the court on the layup line, mouthing – well, at least from where I was sitting, it was mouthing. But really just like – yelling along every word to Kobe Bryant by Lil Wayne. And when I saw him do that, I just thought, man, this is somebody that isn't like a Lakers fan in the sense that a lot of people are Lakers fans. Like a lot of people that get signed by the Lakers, you know, watch the 2010 Lakers, watch the three Pete era Lakers to know every line to that song and sing it as passionately as he did made me think of me when I was younger. Um, I thought that was really nice. So 
I, I don't want to pile on Quinn Cook. I think he's a generally like genuinely likable guy. That's mm-hmm. why Anthony Davis wanted him on the team. That's why, you know, in the event that he does become available in free agency, because he's only has a $1 million guarantee on his $4 million contract. Um, why wouldn't be surprised to see Brooklyn try to poke him away? Cause he's also really good friends with Kevin Durant. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's a good fellow in terms of what I expected from him on the basketball court and what he actually provided. Um, I think he probably gets like a C. Yeah. I had a C minus, but I mean, part of it may be my expectations being too high coming in. Um, I really thought he could be a productive part of the team. Um, on the court, at least, and that never really happened. Uh, he had like brief moments. Like I remember the game in Chicago where he was a big part of that comeback. Um, but that's really the only like highlight of his I remember on the court. So it was a frustrating season because there's a lot of times we could really use shooting, and we really couldn't. Um, count on him to be on the court so um from that in that regard i would grade him pretty low but he's i mean he's been a respected vet like teammate um in the league and uh i mean like you said that's why guys wanted him on the team in terms of guys i was happiest to see get a ring he might be number one just because um he was such a big Laker fan and Kobe yeah. fan, and he talked about that all during the season. So he was one of the guys I was happiest to see get a ring. Um, as with all these guys, I will wish them nothing but the best moving forward. I'll always be a fan of theirs. But, like, if we're talking projecting moving forward, like I mentioned that I thought THT could be a guy off the bench, I would. I think it'll probably be Quinn Cook's spot he takes. Yeah, probably. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. And we'll get to the top 10 on the team. Uh, and each of these guys played a pretty significant role, whether it was in the regular season or the postseason. So that'll be us when we get back. The first guy we're going to talk about is somebody... I, I, th- there aren't words I can put into how shocked I am with the way his season ended. You hear, you hear the story. I'm trying to. I'm really trying to think of a comparison of something I felt like this in my life. Like There's a few years ago, my girlfriend uh, surprised me with a trip to the Just for Laughs uh, music festival in Montreal. We started off in Niagara, the the Canadian side of Niagara. And I had seen pictures of the Niagara Falls before. You hear about how beautiful it is. <laughs> when I saw it in person, I was like, oh, my God. If this was the trip, it would have been worth it. That is the journey Rondo took me on throughout this season. You hear about playoff Rondo. You hear all of the stories. But not until you're in the middle of its mist, its mystique, <laughs> do, do you fully understand like the beauty that is playoff Rondo. 
I cannot give him a higher grade than an A when it comes – well, I guess an A-plus in the postseason. Uh, but he's somebody that's like – he's the opposite of somebody that's not a good test taker in high school. Like, <laughs> he just never does homework. And then when it comes to, like, the final at the end of the year, he doesn't miss a question. So that is – that is my airspace on Rondo. He was awesome. I have an A with three pluses beside it <laughs> as my grade that I wrote down. Um, I, I mean, I've said this. I'm probably on here, probably on Twitter. I was very wrong. I was very, very happy to oh, be wrong. Yeah. Like everything he did the last two seasons is like expunged from the record. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> like. I will put up with him for however long he's a Laker. Like, if he comes back, um, that was insane. The The playoffs were – like if we're talking, like, regular season grades, like, it would have been – I don't even know. It wouldn't have been great. Uh, the – ultimately, what he, what he played, like, 15 games in the playoffs. Uh, he played 16 games in the playoffs – those 16 games – well, actually, no. The, the first game he came back, he looked really bad, and I was really worried. So after that, the final 15 games he played were insane. He shot 40% from three on four – or three attempts a game in those 15 games. Silly, dude. Like, who is this man? And why wasn't he available for the – I mean, I guess I know why. It's because he had to save all of his energy for that run i'm sure if he knew that the season was going to be suspended for four months he probably would have tried a little harder and i know if he were to listen to this he'd hate this conversation we're having right now because he hates the playoff rondo moniker but buddy i hate to tell you it's true like i yeah. saw it with my own eyes it is he can dislike it as much as he wants, but like that happened. Like there is statistical evidence to back up what just happened. Like I'm sorry, he'd um, lose that battle in court. Yes, a hundred percent. Like that was that Rockets game. I think it was the second game. Yeah, the second game he was back where he had 21 points. I'm like that game alone. I was like, okay, maybe all this was worth it. And then he just kept doing it. Like, and then game six against Miami. I I don't know if I said this when I was potting with Anthony um, last week, but when he had that move late in the shot clock where he dribbles um, to his right against Bam into the middle of the lane and then spins back to his left and throws up this scoop layup over his arm, like when that fell in, I'm like, oh, my God, we're winning the title. Like there's no other way this ends. Like that's the most ridiculous shot I've seen Rondo make. So – for the playoffs alone, he gets a an A plus with as many pluses as you can put at the end of it. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, this next one's a little tough. Master Vale McGee, because I understand the arguments of people that thought he was a little underwhelming, particularly in the postseason. You just couldn't play him. But like, I I guess my problem with that argument is like it, it it's relative to the expectations you had for him. If you were of the mindset that he probably wasn't going to play much in the postseason anyway, he probably did exactly what you expected him to do. I don't know if I was 
fully in that crowd, but I definitely had one foot in. In the regular season, though, like, I don't know. I I just don't think he did. I think he barely did enough good to, like, completely ignore the stuff he did wrong, the mental lapses he had on defense. Uh, But, like, you know, overall, I think he was fine. I'd probably give him, like, a C-plus because – you know, it, it is the same grade as Quinn Cook, but this has everything to do with on-the-court production, and uh, I thought he was just okay. I didn't hate when he was on the court. I thought there were stretches where Frank kept him on a little longer than he had to, especially when he has Anthony Davis at his disposal. So, uh, but I, I mean, that's not Javale's fault. So, yeah, I, I'll... I was gonna, I was gonna say that. A lot of the frustrations fans probably have with him are weren't really his fault. They were him. They were Vogel basically sticking with lineups longer than fans felt that he should. Um, which is, like I said, isn't really his fault. This is kind of the opposite of Rondo, I think. Whereas the regular season, I probably would have given him a little bit better of a grade because I thought he was fine. I thought he played fine. Him and Dwight. Um, we're essentially the same player with a few, few differences, but, um, he played fine during the regular season. Uh, when the playoffs came around, he, after that Portland series, um, he really couldn't stay on the floor. Um, and he didn't play at all against the heat, which I guess I didn't, didn't realize he was inactive for the last game actually. Um, which I guess I didn't really realize until um, I looked at the game logs. So I would probably give him like a B minus. Um, his regular season was fine. He was, I don't want to say unplayable in the postseason, but because of the matchups and because of who the yeah. Lakers had, basically Anthony Davis, um, he just didn't see any time on the floor. So he was a fine player. He's probably the most expendable of the bigs that we would have, I yes. think. Um, but I also think that he's under contract for next season. So it'll be interesting to see if they keep him or try to package him in a trade or anything. Wow. You said the word trade. I <laughs> just lost money. <laughs> we, uh, You are slowly converting me into off-season mode with this podcast. <laughs> it was a good idea by you. Uh, the next player we have is somebody I have – not hid my feelings for since he signed his first contract with the team, which if you can believe it was only last summer is his first big boy contract. At least he had yeah. uh, two way contracts before that. That is Alex Caruso, the bald Eagle himself played 1,175 minutes for the Lakers in the regular season started game six of the NBA finals the game that won the Lakers the title, and he played a huge role in it. Uh, but I want to—I don't want to get hung up on that game too much. I think he was great, but I also think what he showed in that game, he showed throughout the season. Like part of the reason people were so frust- frustrated with Vogel's Rondo minutes in the regular season was because Caruso was available. And mm-hmm. to Vogel's credit, he had like, you know, we were living in. 2008 like he was in 3008 and we were 2000 and late um oh my Caruso God. was 
the the backcourt pairing of Crusoe and Rondo worked out because Rondo's a ball handler and Crusoe's a secondary playmaker. Um, and so I I mean on paper it was supposed to work out and it did. My biggest concern with that lineup was shooting, as is the case for you know lineups with them and LeBron and Kuzma. But I I mean he made it work and I. You know, there are obviously five players on the floor, but I think Caruso just does a lot of things that you can put him into any lineup and he'll he'll find a way to make it work and look no further than game six of the NBA finals when he played essentially, you know, the two guard with, with Danny Green at the wing when he isn't much of a shooter. Uh, he just is, uh, I, I know this word is reserved for like, the Draymond Green types, but he really is a floor raiser um, more than he mm-hmm. is like a difference maker. So uh, I'll kick it over to you. So I didn't really realize how much those two played on the floor together in the playoffs. Um, so in the regular season, they played 345 minutes and they were plus 5.9. In the playoffs, they played 249 minutes in 16 games. They played on a minutes per game um, basis they played almost twice as much per game in the playoffs than they did in the regular season and they were a plus 3.7 um those two were really good together all season and like you said at times it felt like it shouldn't work because they didn't have enough shooting but we didn't realize Rondo was going to turn into Steph Curry in the playoffs either so um I think Again, I don't know if I specifically said this on the podcast last week. You can probably imagine why I don't remember everything I said on the podcast last <laughs> week. Um, but I don't think enough has been made about the fact that Caruso one season ago was on a two-way deal, and this season was basically the ser- like the the big like series-changing move that the Lakers made, like putting him in the lineup was effectively ended the series. Um, that's insane. Like, he's a, he was a two-way guy playing G League games last season. So, relative to expectations, even for Lakers fans, he exceeded yeah. them. Um, I mean, you'd have to give him, I think, like an A, A minus A. Like, yeah. He was really good this season, and I'm really excited for him moving forward. The only reason I'd give him – like a minus in that A is because, I mean, if, if you look at his shooting percentages, there was a lot to be desired. Um, but I think LeBron James put it best when he was talking about Caruso and said anything he offers offensively is extra credit. And I think that's true with the role he has currently. If his role were to change next season as a result of Rondo leaving or, you know, Avery Bradley opting out of his contract, I think that would have to change. He'd need to be a better shooter. I think even if those things aren't true, he probably needs to be a better shooter, but everything he else brings, like the fact that he was one of the leaders in net rating on the team in spite of that is insane. Uh, and I, I, there's not, there's not a whole lot of players I'd trade for him straight up in the postseason <laughs> right now, but it's like, especially guys within his salary range. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing for any player is um, whether they can 
hang in the postseason. Like Caruso passed out with flying colors. He was one of the – I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Over the course of the whole postseason, he was probably one of the five best Lakers. Yes. Um, which, again, is wild to say when this was officially his first year with the club. Avery Bradley is somebody Lakers – or a name Lakers fans haven't heard in a while. Somebody we haven't talked about in a great while because – he made the decision not to go to Orlando for personal reasons. And the day that he made that decision, we podcasted and said like, Hey man, you got to look out for yourself. You got to look out for your own. He's still going to get a championship ring. Cause he played a big role in, you know, one of the games, Frank Vogel has gone on record saying, gave them the confidence they needed to say, okay, we can do this which was that Clippers game right before the season was suspended. Wasn't a typical performance from Avery Baddeley by any stretch of the imagination, but that game, that confidence booster he gave them and the defensive makeup he brought to the team uh, to the point where the Lakers had something called the Avery challenge when he was not with the team that they wanted to keep their defensive rating where it was when they had Avery Bradley, when Avery wasn't on the court and to have that kind of impact on an end of the floor, the Lakers obviously prided themselves in, I think says a lot about the commitment he had uh, to playing defense and the pride he had in it. You can argue Sorry. You can argue that he was a, t- a tiny bit overrated on that end of this season. I think the fact that his reputation precedes him helps him a whole bunch. Because going into the season, you ask anybody on the roster about Avery Bradley's defensive prowess, they tell you he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. And obviously, if you looked at the three pre- seasons prior to this one, that just wasn't true. Um, But, I mean, we talked about Avery Bradley before the season started and the expectations we had for him. Um, We had our good friend Sabrina Merchant on the podcast to talk about Avery Bradley. And I will only speak for her and I, but I was convinced that he was kind of washed. I didn't didn't really see a a path for him succeeding on this team. Um, And, you know, he, he surprised me. Shooting percentages... 44%, 44.4% 44.4% shooting from the field, including 36.4% shooting from behind the arc. That's pretty good. Uh, arguably the most astounding shooting stat he has, uh, and the actual shooting chart itself is a little more astounding, is um, 51% shooting from the field, or sorry, from two-point range as a guard is pretty impressive, especially given like how limited he kind of is offensively. I thought he was good. I think if I were to if I were to give him a grade, I'd probably give him like a B plus. And given the B pluses we've handed out so far, the fact that his is directly tied to his production he had on the court and the expectations he had going into the season, I'm not gonna speak for Avery Bradley, but I think you have to be a little happy with that grade. <laughs> yeah, so B plus is what I wrote down as well. Um, which feels about right. 
I'm of two minds because I think ultimately his defense was – I think it was a bit overrated. He did things that the other guards couldn't do. So in that regard, like he could get physical with guys, get up in them for right. – 94 feet, which not everybody could do. Um, so he had those, he had those kind of skills, but I mean, he played well. It probably says a lot like this was, especially when the playoffs came around, this was an elite defensive team. So if they're having something called the Avery challenge, because they respect your defense, like maybe that's just something we're wrong about. And defense is so hard to, like, quantify as well. Um, So in that regard, I think he exceeded expectations because I, too, thought he was washed. On the flip side, he wasn't there at all in the bubble, and ultimately the Lakers didn't really miss him that much. Yes. So I think that that probably makes him the most expendable Laker this summer. And is also why I can't really give him that high of a grade. So I think he did exceed expectations, but he didn't really bring anything to the table that um, the Lakers couldn't either replicate or find another way to produce. So I would give him a B plus. Yeah. And I think if you were to take it a step further and I will, I think you can make the argument that if Avery Bradley had gone to Orlando, they're probably games they would have lost with him on the floor because of like his shot selection and the type of defense Uh he plays. Um, But I, I I say that as like, it's kind of like a sprinkle of like an added point that you can make. I think that's probably true. They probably still end up winning the series because it's just more guard depth. Avery Bradley's, objectively speaking an NBA guard um, and helping their guard depth a bit would have helped them, especially, you know, during series where Danny didn't have it or KCP didn't have it. But um, moving on from Avery, the next guy, I think that blew me out of the water. Nobody blew me out of the water more water more than Rondo. Let's get that straight. (laughs) Nobody is going to for the rest of this pot. Um, But the expectations I had, for Dwight Howard and feelings I had really mm-hmm. compared to where they are now. I don't think it's something I expected. I think I've told this story before, but I was on vacation when Dwight Howard signed with the Lakers. The last story I did before I went on vacation was that the Lakers had requested permission from the Grizzlies to speak to Dwight Howard. Uh, and then after that, I left to Hawaii with my family I was by the pool drinking a lava flow, which is just a pina colada with like strawberry jam. And I got the notification from Shams that Dwight Howard was signing with the Lakers. I shrugged and I chugged the rest of my lava flow and went about my day. <laughs> That's <laughs> I how like, I would have reacted. This is a uh, Harrison's problem. I am on vacation. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I obviously had thoughts in private on on how I felt about Dwight coming back. He's another person I thought was washed. And if he wasn't washed on the court, I just thought, you know, he was a generally unpleasant person to have in the locker room, especially at this stage of his career. 
has that Carmelo Anthony reputation of somebody that just isn't willing to admit that they're not what they used to be. And that could not have been further from the truth with Dwight Howard. I, I wrote down a minus, honestly, any, that seems like the lowest for the grade, like anything above that I would be fine with. I gave, I believe you and I were on here shortly after, well, I guess not too shortly if you were in Hawaii. I was on here with somebody <laughs> talking about Dwight. Maybe it was Hani, um, talking about that Dwight signing. And it was just a lot of why. Like, he did a lot of the things JaVale did. We thought, I think Joe Kim Noah was one of the other guys they were talking to. And it was like, just bring someone different in. And I was happily wrong. Like, Again, like I was happily wrong with Rondo. I was happily wrong about this. He was a massive difference maker. He was the best, uh, well, outside of AD, he was the best big man the Lakers had. Um, he had huge games. He had a lot, of, more often than not, he would be a difference maker for the Lakers. Um, so, and that was just during the regular season. Like, I'm looking back now at how many double-digit rebound games he had. Like, he was so good. He ended up averaging um, 7.5 points, 7.3 rebounds in 19 minutes a game. I would never have expected that level of contribution and that limited amount of minutes this season. Um, And then the playoffs, he was massive. Um, The Houston series... He didn't play much, but the fact that he could come back in that Denver series and be a huge part of the rotation of defending Jokic, one of the best big men in the league, and then be a huge factor in that Miami series as well um, until Vogel went small. Like, I would never in a million years have expected that from Dwight. So. Again, another guy that you were super happy to see win a title, seeing him on Instagram Live afterwards, um, getting emotional. It was hard not to get emotional watching that. Um, This meant a lot for him, and it was really happy to see him kind of come full circle with the Lakers and kind of um, close some of those wounds he had left open when he left back in 2012. The next guy we're going to talk about, I'm going to reserve most of my in-depth thoughts for the story I will be writing about him later this week. I so, you were going to say uh, the, uh, the player review podcast we will assuredly be doing on him. <laughs> um, but the, the person that played the fifth most minutes on the team is Kyle Kuzma. Uh, he also started nine games. I don't know if I ever bought into the third star hype. As big of a as a Kuzma fan I am, I think the position he plays relative to LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the type of player he is, it was always going to be hard for him to take on a star's load offensively with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the court. What I did expect, what I was hoping, was that he'd be somebody that they could play off of, hit open three-point shots, cut off the ball, maybe play a little bit of defense. 
generally speaking, that is not what Kuzma did this season. Um, he did a lot of good things. Not great things, necessarily. I think the only time I can say that he was like great was probably the Portland series. And the numbers reflect that. Not anything he did offensively, but defensively, I don't know if they win that series in six games without him. In five games, sorry. Jeez. It's been, again, that was so long ago. <laughs> it like, feels like months ago. Um, but, I mean, maybe it was my expectations being unrealistic, but I think there is more to Kyle Kuzma than the Lakers saw this season. That being said, I don't know if we'll ever see that Kuzma on this team. That is all I'll say for now. Jacob, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. So that Portland series, again, I didn't remember this because it was forever ago. Uh, he was second in defensive rating on the team. Only Caruso was lower um, at 94.2, which is really, really good, which also makes Caruso's 90.9 defensive rating look even more ridiculous. Um, I guess – One's grade of Kuzma this season probably depends, like you said, how much they bought into the third star hype, which he talked a lot yeah. um, coming into the season about being that guy. So I wouldn't um, hold it against anyone if they graded on that with that being kind of the end goal. And if that's the end goal, he was not the third star and really was never close. Um, I personally I didn't really buy into that much either. Um, he was still probably underwhelming, particularly offensively. Um, he still struggled a lot with his shot. He shot 31.6% from three um, to the point that now it's there's questions about whether his rookie season was just an outlier. Um versus the growing sample size of every other season at Utah and in the NBA, um, which is, again, probably another que- another or question for another podcast. But I thought he made huge strides defensively, um, which kept him on the floor a lot of times, especially when he was struggling offensively. He was tasked a lot of times with guarding Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero in that Miami series, which considering last season – he was being played as a small ball five by Luke Walton. Right. Um, shows both how much better Vogel is than Walton, but also the strides he's made defensively. So I still think he's a very valuable player on the contract he's on, which is a sentiment I've said a lot. Um, he's still, a, uh, I think for a lot of the playoffs, he was a plus defender. Um, it's just his offense has a, Still, he has to figure out how to play with um, AD and LeBron. Overall, I think I'd give him a B grade, and a lot of that is buoyed by his defense and me not really buying into the third star talk. Yeah, I, yeah, I think a B minus is probably fair, at least relative to the expectations I had for him. Um, I think the main thing he has going for him is I think he deserves a ton of credit for 
I, I think a player his age, it would it would have just been really easy for him to shut down and say like, the only reason I'm not succeeding on this team is because I'm not starting, I'm not getting enough touches. Um, you know, if I'm I'm not a stretch four, I'm not the three and D wing you need. I'm an on the ball scorer. I need the ball in my hands. Let me run the second unit. Um, and he didn't. He didn't have any complaints about that. So uh, for that reason, I, I think I'd, I, I would keep him there at that B-minus grade. We're down to the top four in terms of ratings. And because we've already gone pretty long on this spot, I think we're going to go over an hour on this one. Um, I'd like to package the next two on our list together uh, and talk about them as equals, because I think they did have pretty similar seasons uh, just at different times. And that's Contavious Caldwell Pope and Danny Green. If you had to put money on the player that was going to have the better season, I think most people probably would have guessed Danny Green because of the season he had. Jacob, that wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think it would be interesting to see Packaging these two is interesting because I think if you just took them, flipped their contracts, and then played out the season, there'd be a lot less – people would feel a lot differently about both guys. Yeah. Um, I think ultimately they played similar roles, which were basically 3 and D guys, 3 and D wings. Um I would give a lower grade to Danny because I just think overall it was a pretty disappointing season um, relative to what he's done. He shot 36%, which is significantly lower than both what he shot in Toronto, which was 45%, which that was never sustainable. But as a career or over this um, coming into this season with the Lakers, he was a 40.4% three-point shooter. Never really felt like he got his shot going. And then the playoffs, we we joked about this all the time. Every Fans from the Spurs or Raptors or whatnot kept saying, well, when the playoffs come around, he'll, he'll pick it up. He'll be fine. And he shot worse from the three-point line in the playoffs. Um, so he shot 33.9% from three. I think he was hampered pretty badly by that hip injury in the finals. He seemed to be hobbling quite a bit. Um, I don't know if he would ever admit that. He doesn't need to at this point because we won. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't expect him to, nor do I want him to. Um, KCP, on the other hand, was kind of the inverse, I guess. Danny Green's best game was game one of the season. Um KCP struggled to start and then really picked it up and was massive in the playoffs and in the Miami series specifically. Um, I mean, we just talked about third stars in that Miami series. He was the third star. Yeah. <laughs> like he was, I can't get over how good he was in that Miami series. He averaged 12.8 points on, um, over the final two games, three games, he shot 35% from three. It sure felt like a lot more. 
Um, he hit some massive shots. Um, he was really damn good. So I would give, I'd give KCP an A minus, and I would probably give Danny Green a B. Um, I would, I, I may go a little higher on Danny Green because he's still a really, really good defender, especially yeah. a really good team defender. And all the net ratings will show that. Like he's still at the top for the Lakers. Um, he's still invaluable on that end. And that's for a team that kind of makes its identity as a defensive team. He's particularly valuable there. Um, that's also why I don't think that they'll include him in trade talks too much this summer, which again, I mentioned the T word, but that's another podcast for another time. But um, yeah, it was two kind of, uh, flip seasons for for the two guys there. I think they'll probably shop Danny Green. I think it would take the right offer for them to pull the trigger, though. Um, yeah, I'll, he'll probably be back. I think if they make a decision on Danny, it won't be until the trade deadline if they feel like they need to. Um, but yeah, I I mean, the fact that Danny Green had one of the best net ratings in the NBA in the postseason, in spite of his shooting percentage, I think says a lot about the player he is. He's another one of those floor raisers whenever he's on the court. And when he's knocking down shots, he could easily be your third best player uh, mm-hmm. with his two-way play. Contavious Cultivable Pope surprised me because he's another player I thought was probably given a little too much credit for his work on the defensive end in the regular season and the postseason, um, thought he was a little overrated on that. And another guy that whose, whose reputation preceded him. And, you know, for that reason, people perceive him as a three and D guy. That being said, the punch he packed on offense compared to the punch he packed on offense in the regular season in, in the Miami series was crazy. The shots he was taking were crazy. Like, it wasn't even just the fact that they went in. It was the fact that he took them. Like, they wouldn't have, they would not. By the end of that series. (laughs) (laughs) They would not have won those games without him hitting those big shots. Which, considering where he started at the beginning of the year, nobody would have ever believed. (laughs) To... Like, transition seamlessly, I guess, into our final two players. The other two stars of this team are LeBron James and and Anthony Davis. And we've talked about these guys all season because they've been good all season. And for that reason, we had a good level of confidence that they'd be able to get to the NBA Finals. Not everybody felt that way, which is fine. We'll see if they make... The same mistake <laughs> going into next season. Um, but these two could have not been a more perfect complement to each other. Like, they just, I mean, I guess Anthony Davis making more three-pointers than he did, I guess, if you're nitpicking. That's that's way too much of a nit to pick. But, good Lord. I mean, let's just talk about the regular season averages. Both average 25, over 25 points per game. Anthony Davis averaging a team-high 26.1 points per game. 
on 50.3% shooting from the field. Um, and both of them, the, if you're going to look at one stat to look at the dominance of the duo of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it is the fact that they neither of them played more than 35 minutes per game in the regular season and mm-hmm. still ended with the, that disgusting stat line. And in the postseason, get ready for this, it's only slightly more than 36 minutes per game. In the postseason, where you play your stars close to 40 minutes per game, like, they, they just had it. You talk about to tie it all up in the, uh, with a bow, with a baseball analogy, sometimes pitchers have their stuff. LeBron James and Anthony Davis had their stuff all season. They, I don't think they could have been any better. Like it was everything we imagined they would be this season. Um, I put a plus 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 however many pluses you feel like putting on to the end of that. Um, they were incredible. Um, ultimately, they the two of them in the postseason um, played 566 minutes together and had a 14.8 net rating, um, which there was an interesting stat on Reddit. I'm not going to be able to pull it up in time, but it compared AD and LeBron versus the duos they played in every round, whether it was Dame and McCollum, Harden and Westbrook, Jokic and Murray, or Jimmy and Bam, all of those other ones had negative net ratings together, and LeBron and AD were plus 14.8. So that goes to show both how good they were offensively and how good they were defensively. Yes. Um, LeBron made a pretty damn convincing argument that he's still the best player in the league, um, especially in these playoffs, and his commitment defensively every night was – something I did not remotely expect. AD made a pretty damn good case of being one of the probably five best players in the game this postseason. Um, I tweeted it uh, at one point during the regular se- or during the postseason. AD ended up averaging 27 points, nine rebounds, and 1.4 blocks on 57, 38, 83 shooting in the playoffs. That's disgusting. That disgusting is- number. An all-time run. Like, Pete took some flack for comparing them to Kobe and Shaq. This is what Kobe and Shaq were like Yes, when they played. Like, this was two dominant forces that teams just couldn't stop. Like, you just could not stop LeBron and AD in the postseason. They were incredible. Um, they each had their moments in the Miami series. AD was unbelievable in games one and two. Um, he got a little banged up, and LeBron was like, all right, I'll do it. And LeBron, <laughs> that game five he had was unreal. It deserved a victory, if not for Jimmy being unreal. Um, and then he just goes out and gets a triple-double to close out the series. So I don't have enough superlatives for these two guys. They were everything I could imagine that they would be. They were amazing to watch. We're gonna the fact we get to continue to watch them moving forward is awesome. Um, they get as high of a grade as you can possibly give from me. And I want to end this podcast by saying this. I hope 
a few years from now, like, or maybe, maybe even a few months from now, before the season starts back up again, I pray to God, and I know that it's not going to happen because basketball Twitter is just like constant discourse all the time. I would hope that people don't treat this duo we have that could end up being an all-time duo in NBA history the same way they treat Shaq and Kobe now, where they have to pick who carried who, who was more dominant than the other, who deserved the title more than the other person. In the 2000-2001 season, in the playoffs, Shaq averaged 30.4 points per game. Kobe Bryant averaged 29.4 points per game. I don't love comparing those duos because, obviously, it's... I don't want to say it's unfair to LeBron and AD, but, I mean, it was a different era. The Lakers were an extremely well-coached team with two talents that we have not seen like since then. Like, they were just incredible. But when you look at those stats and you look at LeBron and AD stats, it's like, why, why do we ever have that conversation with Shaq and Kobe? It is the most meaningless conversation you can just look at a duo like that and say, good Lord, when has a duo ever dominated together the way these two have? I think that's a moment we can all sit back as basketball fans, as Lakers fans, whatever you want to call us. Look at and say, I am lucky I was alive to see that. I, and I, I just hope that we can learn from... And I guess I'm just, I'm not talking about Lakers fans really, because I don't know how many Lakers fans talk about who carried who to a title when you're talking about Shaq and Kobe. I hope we can just appreciate the greatness of this duo for what they were, which was dominant. Like they were unlike, not unlike anything we've ever seen before, but few people have accomplished what they accomplished in the postseason. And that is the end of my rant. The league really let LeBron and AD team up and then didn't pick them as favorites. <laughs> like what that was always going to happen. So <laughs> that'll on that. <laughs> that'll yeah, that'll about do it for our show, Jacob. It was a pleasure talking with you. I hope you guys made it all the way through this podcast uh cuz it was a lot of players, a lot of grades. Um I it should go without saying but LeBron and AD get <laughs> A's in my book. Uh I think the team in general just gets an A for playing like a year of basketball in the midst of a global pandemic and a fight for social equality in the United States. Um, The way they put their head down for a game that means so much to all of us, um, them included, but obviously they have more compromising factors in their lives. Uh, I know I had a great time watching them, talking about them producing content for all of you. And on behalf of myself and Jacob, um, it's not technically the end of whatever season we we have. I'm not even sure if we have seasons. I don't know if they're listed <laughs> that way. Time is uh, just a construct anyway. <laughs> but thank you all so much for listening to our first season together, Jacob and I. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing this podcast. It feels almost silly that we get to do this uh, as a small part of our job. And uh, 
we look forward to doing in a whole other season with you, even if we do have to talk about free agency and trades. I'm sorry, Jacob. We'll get there. You, you, you suckered me in on this one. I started mentioning it. Uh, this time next week, I will probably be ready to start talking about it. <laughs> That'll do it for us, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next week.